Some people were made to follow the instructions. We were made to make our own. To always measure twice and never cut corners. Unless, of course, we've got a compound miter saw. Northern Tool and Equipment is a problem solver's paradise. There's nothing we can't find, fix, or figure out together. We're made for this. Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com. All right, we're back. It's another Carolina podcast. Maybe the saddest podcast we've ever done. There's nothing good to talk about today. Wes and Chris and I are all dreading revisiting the Texas A&M game again. South Carolina lost that one 30-6. to uh, Thank goodness for that field goal and garbage time to make it a little bit more respectable final scoreline. We also are going to spend Let's a good bit of time. Let's talk about the basketball game. Oh, oh yeah. Seriously, uh, I, I went to the basketball game last night because I like going to the basketball games. I was like, okay, it'll be like still negative football talk on Wednesday, but there will be some positivity with the basketball program to balance it out. And I, I'm not, you know, like, running around with my hair on fire like some people I've seen. They're like, oh, that's the basketball season. I'm like, okay, well, you're an idiot. Stop. <laughs> but certainly uh, not a good showing last night against Boston yeah. University. We got their first win over an SEC team. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the A&M game, and we're here to talk about Statement Gate. Also just incredibly negative for the University of South Carolina, and not just here in Columbia, but just around the country. Everybody thinks that this place is a laughing stock, and it's kind of turning into it. It's really bad. We'll talk about that. We have to start with the first bad thing that happened this week for South Carolina, and that was the Texas A&M game. I was in College Station. Kyle Field is awesome. It is really cool. Have y'all ever been? Yes. He has. I have. I went to the 2017 game. Really awesome. Had they done the renovations by then, or is that the year after? They had done them, I believe. Okay, because I knew they were somewhat recent. We're in the midst. Okay. It's so hard. The place is so big, I didn't even know where I was most of the time. It was so impressive. It felt more like a pro stadium than any college stadium I've been in. Did you like do more of a pro stadium than most of the pro stadiums I've been in? You, did you do any other part? You went into Houston, is that right? Yeah, flew into Houston. Okay. Uh, went to a Rockets game Friday night. Drove to College oh, Station, nice. which is like eh, like an hour and a half or something, and then spent the afternoon in College Station walking around. They have like their own little. I mean, it's not five points, but they have like their little row of bars that are on campus. Northgate, cool. right? Yeah, Northgate. Yeah, yeah. That's a cool spot. Yeah. Um, did you go to the chicken? Uh, the, uh, Dixie the Dixie chicken. chicken. Yeah. I read several people on various message boards saying that it was overrated and that it used to be really good when they opened, oh, but that Ooh. it's not as good anymore. Well, you know, the food was pretty good. I, I think it was more that one of those things you feel like you've got to do when you go. Um, but I, th- I thought it was really cool. What stood out to me about A&M is, like, just the, the atmosphere, the people there. It's, like, really unique how they uh, just – how the people are. I mean, the people, from what I saw, how the Texas A&M faithful interacted with Gamecock fans when I was just observing was really interesting. Uh, everybody was really welcoming. Um, you know, it, it was a really neat place, I thought. Some cool some cool things to do. Huge campus, huge enrollment. Mm-hmm. I mean, really interesting when you drive in. It's like a bunch of, like, farmland and stuff. Right. And then you're just, boom, you're on campus. And then a big golf course on the stadium. right. Like, yeah, the golf course. Yeah. But yeah, really impressive place. It was. I didn't have many interactions with the A and M fans, and I was actually curious about that. So we were yeah. sitting in. Um, I think it's like maybe next to the Dixie Chicken. It was. Which, by the way, do y'all know that Little Feet song? Do you know mm. Little Feet, the band, like an old Southern rock kind of band. No, not ringing anyway, a bell. Dixie. It's called Dixie Chicken. It's a great oh, song. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we were we went to the place next to that. It had like they had a bunch of like activities in their front yard, basically. But anyway, I I went inside and we were sitting there watching the Georgia game. 
um, and just having a drink before the game. And I was so confused because walking through campus to get to that point, and even when we got there, it was all pretty low-key. And so I asked the bartender, I was like, hey, so, like, what's the deal? Is it just because Carolina blows, like, no one's excited for the game? She's like, no, but usually whenever there's a late kickoff, everyone goes to, like, morning tailgates, and then they drink too much, and then they nap in the afternoon, and then they <laughs> rally for the game. So they got it down to a science there, apparently. Wow. I, I, it was it was just weird because you walk through Columbia on a game day, and you, you just feel like the city's, like, always on the cusp of a riot because everyone's just losing their minds. And walking through College Station, it was, like, people just, like, walking around. It was nap time. Yeah, it was, it was nap time. So I guess I missed some <laughs> of that. But I didn't have any negative interactions. It was, it was like, just kind of low-key. Um, but then once you got into the stadium, you know, they have all their, like, traditions and their yeah. call and response, and which was, like, cool. And also, every once in a while, I was like, Playing Jonestown, like it yeah. felt a little creepy, cult like, different um, for sure. Yeah, but, but it was cool. It definitely wasn't a lack of people, though. No. I mean, that, that, they said on the broadcast, I think it was the sixth highest crowd ever. Yeah, it was packed. Which I don't really know why, but that's what. Well, happened. I mean, the Carolina section was packed. Like Carolina sold, yeah. must have sold all their visitor tickets. It's a great trip. I think yeah. everybody wants to go there. Yeah, it's a cool it trip. Did you sit in the press box or you sat? Uh, no, like in the, the in the little fan folks. section, so, south end um, zone. How was the? How loud was the stadium compared to other ones you've been to? I didn't like notice it being loud. It was it felt like normal loud to me. But there wasn't that much to cheer about, even for A and M for most of the game. Like by the time they scored that long touchdown, which is normally when a crowd would have gone bananas, the, the game was already over. Everyone was comatose because it was a snooze fest. It was. Um, so it there, really there wasn't was. a lot to there wasn't a lot to cheer about. And and that's what that was my biggest takeaway from the game. Is that nothing happened? Nothing happened. You know, it <laughs> was it was bad for Carolina because oh my gosh, like wow, bad. But also just boring. You know, it even really if, like if Carolina had won the game, like six to three or whatever, it still would have sucked because it was so boring. Like nothing happened. Nobody could do anything. I mean, I guess there were a couple of plays early. Uh, Carolina got after Mond, and then I feel like they had a couple big passes they to uh, Wedmire. Really good pass, or Carolina had a really good pass to Shaw Smith. Yeah, the good pass. So there were a couple of moments, but I mean, by and large, my memory of that game is just is cheering for Carolina to not pick up a third down after they went over the first 10 because I just I didn't know what the record was I, I just wanted them to get the record and then I said this on my show on Monday but um my friend and I in in the interest of entertaining ourselves because we didn't leave early because we wanted to you know we're, we're at Kyle Field might as well stay for the whole thing and experience a, a full game day there so to entertain ourselves and to make the game seem closer than it was we were making up our own stats to try and figure out, you know, where Carolina was beating A&M. And we came up with a great stat that I want to normalize, and it is uh, points per yard. And Carolina smoked A&M in points per yard. They had like 43 – or sorry, yards per point. They had like 43 yards per point, and A&M only had like 18. So Carolina won that margin for sure. Y'all were bored. Yeah, it was that incredibly a, boring. That is quite a pull yeah. on that stat. Did you did you find the stat on the Ofer? You know, no, I tweeted the ESPN downs. stats and info, and they never got back to me. I think that, I feel like Jerks. that's going to be a hard one to find, probably. Yeah. And I imagine Carolina wasn't actually close. I'm sure, like when Prairie View A and M was amidst that like 11 season streak <laughs> where they didn't win a single game, they probably went like 0 for 17 in a game yeah, or something like that. So yeah. Car- I'm sure Carolina wasn't close, but I was just curious. And then of course they converted the 11th one, which is stupid, but whatever. What about when Georgia Tech beat that team 212 to nothing? Cumberland College yeah, back in like, to- 1912 or something. Oh, I think they turned the ball over like 15 times or something that game. So well, and I think there, football there still, weren't any third get downs. <laughs> and football was still make it, take it then. Ah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So Georgia Tech just kept scoring and getting the ball back. It was like rugby where you score and then they kick off to you. Yeah. What if it was like that now? That would be interesting. Carolina never would have scored this year. Um. Anyway, do we have to give takes on this game? Yes. Uh, <laughs> that's what we do. 
I know Jesus. you did it a little bit Monday. Yeah. That that it was so bad. Carolina's had so many awful offensive performances, and somehow that took the cake. It did. Um running game not there again. I mean, solidified what we already know. If South Carolina is not able to run the ball, um very difficult for them to win. Um I that would that would be a good statistical research is where where is the threshold that Carolina has to hit in the running game to have a chance to win. Um, you know, when they don't run the ball, they, they just don't win. I was that. tracking that for stretches of last season. I haven't looked at it this year, but, I mean, it was it was like pretty much when Carolina runs for like fewer than 60 yards, they're, they're like 0-4 last mm-hmm. year, and then when they run over 150, they were like 3-0 or something like that, and then, you know, some, some gray area in there, I guess. But Yeah, so that that's, I mean, that's been the case. Um, you know, even last year, we talked about it, even last year, um, when the offense was explosive at times, um, you know, it, it bogged down at times for large stretches of, you know, time as well. And it seemed like it was when they were running the ball, everything else fell into place. When they weren't, um, everything else didn't. So, yeah, it was more of the same defense sort of uh, playing hard, doing just enough, forcing some field goals, and then wearing down. Um, you know, I, I made the point in our on our Monday episode. I said, you know, as much as this team has been – completely difficult to predict what they're going to do. This was the most predictable performance that you – like, if you would have said on paper what was supposed to happen in this game, what was most likely to happen mm-hmm. after watching the App State game, you'd say, well, if South Carolina can't run the football again, um, chances are – you know, A&M's got some guys on offense, but they're not a dominant offense. You'd say, well, South Carolina will probably struggle again on offense. They won't run the ball. They won't be able to stay on the field. Defense will play well, but wear down as the game goes along. And then that's pretty much exactly what happened. Man, I, I, I didn't anticipate South Carolina scoring like a lot of points or moving the football well in this game. I didn't think it'd be that bad. I'll be honest. Like it was predictable in the sense I thought South Carolina would struggle. Thought they would lose the football game. I don't know if I had them going over 11 on third downs for the whole you know what i mean yeah yeah, like, yeah. i mean i'm not saying you necessarily would have said it's gonna oh yeah definitely go that predictable bad, but, and, but after yeah. the fact you're like that's not a it's not like some huge yeah, shock exactly result. yeah it's exactly like what you expected yeah yeah i mean yeah. I, I thought i i was more in the range of like you know they'll they'll score 14 yep. maybe 17 points and 17 give up yeah. maybe 27 30 points something like that but yeah um you know just the way it played out and i i think I think Texas A&M, as the game went along, they they knew, you know, they knew they were controlling the game, so there's really no point in them, you know, putting the ball in danger or right. putting themselves in and a And those last spot. two scoring drives were just, yeah. I mean, it was a 75-yard run, and then there was the one drive that was it was basically what, just like three Isaiah Spiller runs and then the sneak? Yeah. yeah, And that was it? Yeah. I, I did think, um, I thought Kellen Mond played well. Um, he's better than I thought he was. You know, early in his career, I, I wasn't a huge mind believer but I, I think he's improved this year he made a lot of good decisions and you know Carolina had some pressure in his face and yeah he was able to, really yeah he was able to get the ball out and um and make some plays uh obviously the what what, what was the thought on the targeting from inside the stadium the three calls we didn't talk about that on Monday but yeah um, I've been wanting to talk about that so the the Brunson one I thought was obnoxious probably the right call by the but, letter Probably, but, but what but. bothers me is they—that's not how they enforce it. They're very inconsistent with it because every offensive player on every single play does exactly the same thing that T.J. Brunson did, and no offensive player, as far as I remember, 
has ever been flagged for targeting. So if that's going to, if you're going to enforce it so strictly by the letter of the law, you know, call it both ways. I guess that's kind of the cliche, but I, I found that to be terribly irksome, especially given that the point of that rule is to protect the players. Player safety is ostensibly the interest of the targeting rule. Late in the game, there were two targetings, two of what I thought were the clearest examples for targeting, especially the one on DeCarion Joyner that knocked him out of the game, and then, of course, the other one on the sideline where the Texas A&M player knocked himself out. Both instances where a player got hurt because of initiating that sort of head-to-head contact. And both of them, are it's not, it's not that they missed the call and they didn't flag it. They flagged it, reviewed it, and overturned it. And it just continues to be, I really truly believe that SEC officiating has taken more of a hit in terms of prestige, in terms of image. Not that there was much of one anyway, but I think it's been a worse year for SEC officiating than even South Carolina football. Yeah, it's been Those horrible. guys look like an absolute clown show. And every single attempt for either the front office or their quote-unquote rules experts to justify it just makes them look more incompetent to the point where they're starting to almost just look corrupt and like blatantly disregarding... I mean, I guess not disregarding, but they're they're a bunch of buffoons, and it's really annoying. Yeah, I, I'm with you on, like, the intent of the rule is to protect from head injuries. That's the biggest thing, protect from head injuries on both sides. You know, you don't want a player leading with the crown of his helmet because that can hurt that player. It can also hurt the other player if he's making forcible contact to the head or neck, whether it's with a bo- another body part or your head. And so all I know is that the two the two plays, and this has nothing to do with – which uniform any any of the guys are wearing because it doesn't matter to me. I'm just calling what I see with the rule. You know, the two that were to the upper body, head area, head, neck area, and had an effect on those individuals were not called. The one that was a shot to the chest that would have been a clean shot fairly recently was called. So that's it what I had It wasn't even called on with. the field, was it? It was they looked yeah, at yeah. it. Yeah, they looked they at looked it later. At it I don't know if somebody at some know, point laid a flag down. You can't review a penalty. You can't so they can they, review you can targeting. targeting. You can review targeting can, if you call targeting, but they didn't no, call targeting. You can, you can. They can initiate that. They can initiate it for now. targeting. Really? Yeah, that yeah. that's fairly new because you know they've changed the targeting rule like eight times. Right, but they need to change it again, I guess. <clears throat> yeah, or just or just enforce <laughs> it correctly. If they see, if you throw a flag and a player is literally injured, which is the one thing that you're trying to avoid, don't pick up the flag. I'll edit that out, but. Like, don't f*** that up. If this is about player safety, <laughs> if this is about player safety, then keep the players safe. And when players are injured, that's like, that is textbook what you're trying to avoid. Feel better? What? A little bit. <laughs> so, yeah, at, at least as far as I saw, it wasn't flagged initially on the field. Then they added it. And the, the announcer or Matt Austin, I can't remember which one said it, but they were talking about that this is a, quote, defenseless player yeah what what makes him a defenseless player in this instance because he's the the play hasn't been blown dead yet he's still fighting for yardage tj brunson has no idea that he's dropped the football he's just trying to go make a tackle so they're saying and i i think the standard for targeting is different if it's a defenseless player versus a non-defenseless player but i don't understand how is it because he's already being initiated a tackle is it because um, the ball has fallen out of his hands? I, I I don't I don't I don't know the exact definition there, but the fact that to me it looked like a textbook tackle, and 
the the force was delivered to his chest, um, and the fact that the uh, the referees on the field watching it saw no reason to mm-hmm. flag it. That's where I think there's an issue. Yeah, but even in that case, it's like okay, he did initiate contact with the crown of his helmet, and that's technically illegal. But could we find fifty instances of offensive players doing that in Saturday's game? I would say probably. Every time a running back hits the hole, every time a wide receiver initiates contact, that's what you do. So if you're going to call it on T.J. Brunson, if you're going to call it on defensive players, not just Brunson, this bothers me anytime it's called, call it on the offensive players if that's really what this is about, but it's not. And real quick, because we, we don't really have anything to buy or sell, um, and this I'm not even presenting this as a buy or sell, but buy or sell, <laughs> no, no, I can't even figure out how to make this buy or sell. But who's dumber? Bob Caslin or Matt Austin? <laughs> Who's had a worse year, do you think? You're not going to answer that? You're going to make me edit that out? Who's had a worse year? You don't have to call them dumb. Who's had a worse year? Who's had a worse week? Is uh, yeah. Well, I, I, think, I think about well. Matt Austin uh, saying that the holding call against Florida was not a hold because the player didn't try to get away or whatever. Yeah, he was content to run side by side yeah. is what he said. He just got, he didn't want to, he didn't want to tackle. What him. was the other thing? Uh, well, Matt Austin said this past week about the targeting. It was something about like um he used another word that was like similar to targeting. Like he was looking to attack or something. You remember that? What was it? I don't remember. It was something with I, one I of the targeting penalties. Uh, he went back to like intent again. Mm-hmm. And it's like, dude, no. Like look at the what does the rule say? I feel and a little bit bad for him because I feel like I remember reading something where he actually had, like, a brain transplant where they just replaced it with, like, vanilla pudding. So, I mean, you can't really hold it against him. But that guy has had an awful year. He's had a rough year. I think he, he's had a rough year, I think, in some individual instances. I think it would be even tougher question to say SEC refs slash how Greg Sankey and Steve Shaw have handled it. versus <laughs> Or not handled versus, it. <laughs> right, versus Bob Caslin. I would say... The answer to your question, if we're just going Matt Austin, would be Bob Caslin. Yeah, that's yeah. had a rough time. We're going to get into yeah, we're going to get into that gate. Yeah, um, we will, we will. But we'll, let's, you want to do a little quick buy or sell on other games this week? Uh, no, because okay. I, I got I got one more thing to ask you about the Texas A and M game. <laughs> After that, yeah, yeah, sure. Because yeah. we all agree that it was a very predictable game. So just for the sake of introducing some excitement into this, what is the most surprising thing that happened on Saturday? Um, I, I mean, for me, I, I go back to what I said earlier about Kellen Mond. Um, you know, I, I've watched him in some games just be wildly inaccurate. Um, I thought against Clemson, there were times when he had a pocket and open receivers and was missing guys left and right. And then, you know, against Carolina with guys hitting him with Javon Kinlaw on his face. Uh, one of these plays, he... There's no way he saw he actually literally saw his receiver running a uh, shallow cross, and uh, he somehow finds a way to get the ball off and and hit him. I th- for me it was just uh, overall Kellen Mond's play. I guess my answer would be the complete and thorough ineffectiveness of the Gamecock offense. Again, no touchdown, right? Basically. Well, <laughs> that surprised you. Did you realize they just scored 15 points against no, Appalachian no, no. State? No, no, no. Like I said earlier, it wasn't that I thought they would be effective at all. I just mean how thorough the ineffectiveness was. For example, I did not think they would go 0 for 11 to open the game on third down. I did not think they would only score six points in the whole game. Um, I did not 
think the passing game would look completely and utterly discombobulated. I thought I did not think it would be good. I did not think it would be that bad. I did not think Joseph Charlton would be like the second leading rusher in the game. Okay, like those are the things that were surprising. Did I was I surprised by you know, did I come away from game go, "Oh my goodness, I cannot believe they weren't good on offense." No, not at all. But just that would be my takeaway. You know, in a game that was not very surprising in its outcome or what happened, like that would be sort of my micro takeaway is I, I didn't think it would be that bad offensively, okay. which is alarming. Yeah. You know, yeah, because yeah. well, you already had low expectations. Right. It sounds like, right. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, as awful as they were running the football against App State, um, they've actually ran the football pretty well All year. against and against SEC defenses. So, um, it's really just these two games. People are going to point to Missouri and say Carolina didn't run the ball well against Missouri, but they just didn't run the ball against Missouri. Tennessee, I don't remember what the rushing totals were, but it was similar. They, were, they just kind of got away from They the were run. great there. Um, but, yeah, I, I just th- – going into the game, I sort of had convinced myself, well, um, the App State game may be the outlier as far as, you know, as far as their ability to run the ball. They'll be way more motivated. They'll be told how much they suck all week long. Like, it'll be – It'll be a much more efficient running game. And but then, instead of motivating them, they just seem to start to believe it. Then they, well, they, you know, they the the crazy thing is we we're talking about it on a Monday show. Rico Dowdle rushed for 13 yards on the first play of the game, mm-hmm. and the his next total, six carries for minus one. Yeah, his total was 12. Yeah, so, but I told Wes this on Monday. I I knew again I had lower expectations, but I thought they would run the football a little bit better than last week, or a little bit better than they actually did. The, that first carry by Rico that actually was his best play by far, the best rushing play of the day aside from Charlton's run, I knew that they weren't going to be able to have success after I saw that play. Hmm. And you say, well, why? He ran for a first down 13 yards. He was he looked 50%. Yeah. I mean, now he's probably a little bit more than 50, but 53. when he took off, normally that's a 20, 25-yard run for healthy Rico. He's not healthy. He wasn't last week. He's got a big brace on. He just didn't have the same explosiveness. So I saw that. Then I saw, you know, Tavian Feaster not playing, you know, which we expected. And you go, there's not really reason to feel that great about this. I mean, Kevin Harris had one nice run. I think he broke somebody's arm off with his thigh. Um, other than that, you know, there just wasn't a lot going on. Yeah. So hmm. Biggest surprise for me, and I'm just saying surprise in terms of what were things that I was expecting to happen and then what actually happened. Uh, and this is a, a pleasant surprise. The one positive takeaway from this game. Nice, uh, nice JJ Nagbari game. He yeah. got a couple pressures, got a couple sacks. Yeah, he's someone that, and I think in some ways it's been nice that Carolina hasn't had to rely on him to have a huge sophomore season. He's been, I don't know, I feel like probably in that twenty-five snap-ish range for most games. Um, I was expecting him to have a big year, but the defensive line's been fine without him. Like ever, everyone's been great. I, I was kind of expecting him to supplant uh, Aaron Sterling, who's obviously had a great season. Um, so it's just good to see him pop, get a little bit, bit of momentum here at the end of the year because he's going to be relied upon a lot next year. Got a question. Yeah. Up to date, if South Carolina's offense is average mm-hmm. this year, consistently average, how many games? What What's this team's record? Six and six. I think, they, I think they'd have beaten App State and North Carolina. Probably still chalk up that Missouri loss. Probably still lose on the road to A&M. It's just maybe not as embarrassing. But that's a huge difference, man. He, well, and may, maybe beat Tennessee. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, the the reason that I don't put Missouri or Tennessee in there confidently is because Tennessee, you give up two special teams touchdowns, and Missouri, you give up two offensive touchdowns or two defensive touchdowns. Like your offense gives them 14 points. 
and against Tennessee, the, the punt return and the block punt were the difference in that game. Yeah. So well, maybe, maybe the better argument is for Missouri then, because if you have an average offense, you don't you have the two. Don't, yeah, you don't yeah. give the opponent. Yeah, and, run and, yeah. and then Ryan, you know, was ineffective, and that got me true freshman on the road, and and he was beat up, you know, and so I think they could have beaten A and M with an average offense. What we saw wasn't even below average. It was just poor. Yeah. I mean, the defense played well for almost all of the game. Like, yeah. you look at it and you go, oh, 30 points, defense stinks. No, they played really well. When you put your defense constantly in bad field position, you know, situations, they're constantly on the field. I mean, this is a non-tempo offense, and South Carolina played 83 defensive snaps. Come on. Yeah. You know, so I, I think I think average offense, they win that game. Also, Florida, you know, they played pretty well offensively in that game. Yeah. You know, well, well, so I, think, I mean, Florida had, what, 20 after three? Yeah, so, I mean, I think. Or 27? I mean, yeah. 17, 20? And, I mean, Georgia, like the that. defense won that game. They, they did enough barely offensively to win. But, you know, um, but, yeah, I, I think North Carolina, I'm going to count Missouri. Okay. Because the defense also played well in that game. Yeah, they did. They only gave up All right, so 20 points. North Carolina, Missouri. But I'm not going to count well Florida or Tennessee, okay. you know, right. and then and then I say App State and A&M, so that's four extra wins. That's generous. I don't think so. I think that's generous. For an average offense. I mean, the offense is really bad. They lost App State by five, did next to nothing offensively. No, no, yeah, I give you App State and I give you North Carolina. They lost that by four. Missouri, they lost by 20, but 14 of those points are offensive. And then they couldn't, you know, same situation. Like, they played really well defensively. They could not move the ball. They did absolutely nothing the entire first half of the game. So I'm saying do anything. Score one touchdown. Hmm. Move the ball. Keep your defense in better position. Um, well, I'll say, even, I mean, even then, if we're giving them two wins and this team is sitting at 6-5 and five going into Clemson mm-hmm. with a win over yeah. Georgia, um, Maybe are, are Bob Caslin's not being an idiot. Are, are some people unhappy still? Yes, but it's also because they didn't realize the alternative, right? Which is the timeline we're sitting in yeah. right now. Um, and and Muschamp's job is, you know, he's not on the hot seat at all. I don't think, or he, not by anyone that matters. Hmm. Um, but you know, I, I still, I, I think, to me, this season is defined by losing to North Carolina. Losing to App State, mm-hmm. you know, may, maybe throwing for Missouri and Tennessee. To me, it's more about how they lost those games. Yeah. You know, those they, are road games in the SEC. Yeah. You lose like most of those, honestly. And so, well, so, and sometimes things go bad. You know, the the two special teams and the two um, defensive scores for you know for Missouri that stuff. You you're not winning on the road if you give up right those two things in those two games. But uh, to me, you know, and I, we talked about this South Carolina talent wise is probably much more comparable to Missouri or Tennessee mm-hmm. than anybody likes to admit. The ones that really hurt you if you're South Carolina is losing opening game, North Carolina. Um, everybody's healthy. You had the entire offseason to, to get ready for this game, and then you, you don't come out and, and play well. I, I think those are the ones that – those are the ones that sort of – give ammo to the idea of, you know, moving on from Muschamp if you're pushing that. The the other games, you know, it, it's football, it's SEC, weird stuff happens when you're fairly evenly matched talent-wise. Um, sometimes it just happens. But I, I think those are the ones that have, have really hurt this program as far as 
um, the perception and as far as what you can sell right now and as far as the fan base being where it is right now. Here's another fun question, a two-parter, sort of related to your question, Chris, about what would this team, what would the difference in a below-average offense or this just abysmal dumpster fire of an offense versus an average offense, what does that do to the win-loss record? Which unit is worse compared to its, I guess, across-the-field counterpart? Because we all agree that the defense has been good this year. And you know what else is awesome? That record-setting 2014 offense. So which unit do you think is worse, the 2019 offense or the 2014 defense? Hmm. My gut instinct is 2014 defense is worse. It was really bad, but that team was still able to go 7-6. and Because of the offense. Yeah, but this team wasn't able to go 7-6 and because of the defense. So is that is that your case, or is it more about this offense? Because this offense is like truly – I mean, I, I counted last week, but even before the A&M game, or maybe this was Monday actually, I counted recently, and I think there were only like five Power 5 schools in all of the country – that are worse offensively than Carolina. And it was like Vanderbilt, Cal, and like two and or three other schools. Yeah. Offense? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They're like 111th, I think. Do you know the lowest point totals? You can give a few. Let, let's go. Let's go. Lowest non South Alabama or Furman point totals of that 2014 season that South Carolina gave up? 24. Close, pretty close, pretty close. Wesley, do you have a guess? Wait, what's the question? Uh, lowest point total. Don't count South Alabama. Don't count Furman. Lowest point totals at South Carolina's defense in 2014 gave up. Um, Miami in the bowl game. That's a close one. Uh, How many did they give up? 21 in that game. Mm. Some other East Carolina 23. Um, in the in game two. And then another one, uh, two others. Wait, um, <laughs> Florida? Florida was tied for first out of the ones that I granted you. The 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 Florida 2014 game, the yeah. overtime game was 20. The must champ. 23 to 20. Okay, yeah, yeah, And um, another one was Missouri with Pearson's favorite player, right? Wasn't Drew, Drew Locke? That was Drew Locke as a freshman, right? 15, the one 14, good year 15, he 16, had against Carolina. Yeah. Or no, no, no. No, that was not that Drew Locke. That was not Drew Locke. Drew Locke, 2015. 15. So, 14, was that Matty Mock? Matty Mock. Must have been Matty yeah. Mock. Yep, yep. Sorry, Drew Locke. I'd let Pearson pile on you even more. <laughs> yeah, that was a 21-20 to 20 loss. That was the game where... The no two-point conversion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, didn't go... Forgot to go that, for two. You know what? The and they scored two the touchdowns. The defense actually... The defense played well for most of that game. I, I just remember for, Missouri drove yeah, it down. of that game. And... They had it completely bottled up, and then the guy, like, reversed field and ran in for a touchdown late in the game. The amazing thing about that defense was the overall lack of team speed that that defense had as oh, a whole. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So, sounds like we're all leaning – I don't know, man. Those, those are That was, like, several – that was several games they gave up fewer than 30 points. This offense – not only is not gonna is not gonna score more than twenty seven, but is gonna finish the season averaging fewer than twenty points a game. It has to be this offense. And the the part two of this question is if you put the twenty nineteen offense with the twenty fourteen defense, would that team go over? Would they have beaten Charleston Southern? And then the flip side, how good is the team that you put the twenty fourteen offense with the twenty nineteen defense? If you give this team the twenty fourteen yeah. offense, they win ten games this year. 
I still I, I go twenty fourteen defense. I mean the yeah as ba- as bad as this offense has been down the stretch. I mean, they're still they're still ninth in the SEC in scoring offense. What? Yeah. No, okay, okay, but you have to factor out Charleston Southern. <laughs> okay, I am versus conference opponents only. If you take out, if you put just conference opponents for everybody in the SEC, Carolina should be thirteenth. They're ninth. That's not right. I I literally looked at this like last week or maybe even this week. I'm looking at it right now. You're not looking at it right. It should be nineteen point four <laughs> points per game. It's nineteen point nine. Kentucky is averaging eighteen point one. Oh, okay, Tennessee okay, okay. I, I see though, because this is all just against conference opponents. So this is yes. this is so I'm factoring in uh, all the non conference except yeah. for Charleston Southern, which obviously you can't do. But that's why like Kentucky is better and whoever else is down there, Arkansas. Wait, you're factoring in what? I was just taking out the Charleston Southern game. Okay. I think I've got to go, man, ooh, it's quite, like the last two weeks have made it really close in that argument. I would still lean towards 2014, even though, like, that those teams did enough to beat Florida in the Swamp, which was that a good offensive team? No. Uh, they didn't. They beat Georgia 38-35, not a great performance by the defense. Um, you know, they gave up 35 points to a Clemson team where, man, Deshaun Watson – was really good even as a freshman. He also had a torn ACL. Mm-hmm. Does Carolina – buy or sell? Does Carolina score <laughs> negative points next week against Clemson? Like, because the offense is going to be so bad they just start no. taking points off the scoreboard below no. zero? No? No. You, you can't do that. Will they score three? Yes. Okay. Maybe we'll save that for next week. So we'll get we'll get an official ruling on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We I'm not sure. That. That's next three. week. If they, if they only scored six against A&M, I don't know if they'll score three against Clemson. They will score three against Clemson. We'll do that next week. Okay. I agree with you. All right, All right. Wes, Wes had you a buy or sell. Buy or sell. Seriously. I oh. used to. You had buy or sell based on um, some other SEC games? Well, some other games. Oh, you some other to. games in general. Yeah. All right, well, buy or sell. All right. Sponsored by Bishop Real Estate Group. Yeah, tell us about them. Uh, Terry Bishop, former Gamecock quarterback, 36 years and counting of real estate experience. It's like if Pearson was going to buy a house – he would call Terry Bishop because, A, Terry Bishop is a former Gamecock quarterback, huge supporter of the program, and he knows what he's doing. So, like, that's a pretty obvious fit, right? So, Pearson would dial 803-665-1442 or text him. Call or text Terry. He, he texts. Or you go to facebook.com slash the Terry Bishop team. We appreciate his support of all our football content in this podcast. And Wes is our host this week for By Yourself. Yes. <laughs> um... We're going. We're going national first. Mm, bye. We got Ohio State versus Penn State. This is number eight versus number two okay. at Ohio State. Ohio State is favored by seventeen and a half in this game. <sighs> they good. Are you buying or selling that Ohio State wins this game by eighteen or more? Buying. I uh, I would love to be out on Ohio State, and I always just look for reasons to be out on them, but I can't. You know they they haven't played the toughest schedule, and they've absolutely obliterated everyone they've played. And they they just played someone good somewhat recently. Was it last weekend? Two weeks ago? They finally played someone good. No, not last week because they played Rutgers, and they were fifty some fifty three point favorite in that game, and they did not cover. Um, who did they play two weeks ago? Ohio State. Did they play Iowa? 
know. They played Wisconsin. Don't you have it right in front of you? They played Wisconsin uh, two weeks ago. Won 38-7. to Yeah, I guess that was what I was thinking of. So, I don't know. I'm buying Ohio State. I think they're really good. Penn State, I'm, I'm kind of out on, on Clifford. Like, every time, I watch Ohio, uh, every time I watch Penn State, it's usually because I've, well, not bet on them, but picked them in our pick segment. And then I watch the game, and I'm like, why do I, why do I pick this team with this quarterback? I don't trust him to, to win any games or cover any spreads. I don't know what they are ATS this year, but um, I'm, I'm buying that Ohio State's 17 points favorite. 17 points better than Penn State. 18 points. You said 17. It's 17 and a half. Oh, well, you buyers. didn't say 17 and a half. You said yes, 17. No, I said, that was 17, the key. I said 17 and a half, half and then the I said you're buying or selling that they will win by 18 or more, which is how you have to phrase it. I think, well, yeah, if it's 17 and a half, but I thought you said 17. I will review the tape since we have this recorded, fortunately. You don't have to review the tape. I'm telling you what I said. Huh? I'm yeah, telling you, you exactly You don't know what, what you said. said. You got a bunch I, of mucus in your brain right now. I literally, okay. Chris, did you say 17 or 17 and a half? I don't remember, man. Wow. I'm literally wow. telling you exactly what I said. Switzerland okay. over here. All right, when, when you edit this, I want you to replay it right now. Cut in exactly what I said right now. Let's go to a booth review. Ohio State is favored by 17 and a half in this game. <laughs> and then you can come back to me saying, I told you so. Okay. <laughs> we'll overturn it. There's no intent, so we'll just overturn it even though. All right, so Pearson – Bought Ohio State, whatever number, 17 and a half, whatever. Ah. Yeah, I'm going to buy it, too. I think uh, I think Ohio State wins and covers. Wesley. All right, I'm buying, too. Nice. I, I can't be different, I guess. Um, all right, Joe Burrow. Joseph. And the LSU Tigers face Arkansas this week. <laughs> God. Joe Burrow in his last five games, has passed for 489 yards, 393 yards, 321 yards, 327 yards, 293 yards. Okay. Joe Burrow throws for 400 yards this week against Arkansas by herself. Sell. He's not going to be in the game long enough to hit 400. That was my thought. That was my thought. I say he he racks up a cool you know three something maybe even two something I mean who knows okay if uh, if it was three where where would the line be for y'all to have to like That's think tough. about it like three twenty five yeah like three twenty five three fifty I'd okay. go I would buy three twenty five I'll sell four hundred I think he'll finish with like three forty six three touchdowns no picks I can see Arkansas touchdown. like LSU's defense isn't great right. So I could see Arkansas randomly scoring like a touchdown or two, and so they they feel compelled. Like you know, how last week Ohio State put Justin Fields back in because they were only up by like seventy five on Rutgers or something, and they were like, "We're a little bit worried. We'll put him in. We need to score one more time." They immediately scored, then they took him out again because okay. Rutgers is awful. So th- all right, three fifty. You're still selling. Yeah, I sell three fifty. Man, I wish I would have done a little bit more research. I'm oh, buying. I'm buying three fifty. You're buying. Okay. I'm. I'm gonna. I'll, I'll. Yeah. I'll buy. I'll go ahead and do it. I'll just do it. Okay. Good. I wanted to go back and look at the teams that LSU has killed. Like how how long he's played a and b. What he passed for against those. But whatever. I'll just buy it. Yeah. This is all. We don't do research here. This yeah. is all. This is unimpro- We normally do. <laughs> By the way, last week I was three and zero, and you are both two and one. Oh, congrats. Yep. The only Next. difference was we all sold Carolina without Rush A&M. Good job, all of us. We all bought the Joseph Charlton would out-punt Braden Mann, which he did. Heck, yeah. He outrushed him, too. Outrushed him, too. <laughs> Braden Mann with a shank. Oh, 
real Shankopotamus. He, could, he couldn't. We talked about this Monday. I don't nervous. know if you heard it. He, he couldn't handle the moment. No. He Joe was, Charlton he was, rising he was to the scared. occasion. I mean, Charlton, Charlton was like, I'm coming for your throne. And, and man was quaking in his boots. It was great. Um, isn't it going to? It's going to be controversial if a Braden man like wins the Ray Guy Award over Charlton mm-hmm. when Charlton not punted him, head to and head. then B, maybe even if Charlton, I don't know who the other great punters are. I don't watch punter tape. So he got named to the semifinalist right. list, which was ten. I imagine Max Duffy's on there from Kentucky. That dude's a beast. He can spray. Awesome. Oh, he kicks. Yeah. He, he sprays kicks rugby. Yeah. yeah, he averaged fifty-one yards of punting. That's cheating. Yeah. It was great. I, I don't know who else is on the list, but. I think Charlton should get it, man. Yeah, he's great. He, right, only, anyway. he, he didn't right. average. He didn't have a great average. He only averaged like forty-four yards a punt on Saturday, but better than Man, who was like forty-one or something. Yeah, and he's this got great hair and a great beard. Yeah, and, I mean, it's good. The lone bright spot of this Carolina season. Um. Yes. So yeah, you, you got one more. Or is that it? I mean, oh, we don't have to. There, I'm. I'm gonna. Let's just right. talk about Kazan because we're already uh, going. Hold there. on, real, real quick. Okay. Um, does anybody in the top twenty-five? Take a loss this week. The one team that is actually yes, Penn State. Oh. Okay, Bye. That, that Not, hasn't... Bye. All right, Not someone Penn, Penn State. State. I'm selling. There's, there's a couple ranked matchups this weekend, right? <laughs> I'm selling my own. <laughs> I'm selling my own. Yeah, I'm ourselves. selling the rest of your segment. Let's my talk segment about Bob Coslin. Let's move on. <laughs> we don't have to review the tape on that. I All right, wrong. statement gate. Bob Caslin keeps saying stupid things that aren't helping the University of South Carolina. You would think he would know better, but clearly he doesn't. Or maybe, as Wes put it, he's playing 5D chess. I just think this is ridiculous and clearly embarrassing for the university. I don't need, I'm not even an alum. I don't care about the university. But it's embarrassing to just be like associated with it anyway. I stand up when we record this. I'm going to sit down and let y'all talk because I have nothing else to say about it other than Caslin's an idiot and he's not being helpful. I I just think, uh, you know, the need to talk right now um, by Caslin, by some board of trustees members, um, isn't helping anything. Um, you know, if, if you're going to put out a statement of support for your head coach, it probably needs to be an actual statement of support, not I'm supporting him until the end of the season. And um, that that does nothing to help recruiting. It does nothing to help your head coach. It does nothing to help the university. Um, all it does is drive speculation. And then to say the Florida State thing, you know, say that all of my athletic director did talk to Florida State about it, then I have to put out a statement saying, my athletic director did not talk to Florida State about it. Um, directly contradicting your own statement, your own quote. Um, I mean, it's it's just a it's a bad look. I I don't really, I don't really know any other way to put it other than that. It's just a it's a very very bad look. And if you're South Carolina, you uh, you want to be a place that. Regardless of uh, you know what you feel about Will Muschamp, regardless of what you feel about the football program, whether you think there's a change needed or not, across every sport, you know the president. This guy's not just running the football program; he's running everything from all the other athletic programs to hey, there's an actual school, like an actual university here, an actual research campus that this guy controls. So 
Um, you want to be a place people want to be. And to me, you sort of have thrown your coach under the bus in a way. You've thrown your athletic director under the bus in a way. And um, that's not really a bad – that's not really a good precedent to set is uh, my thought. No, and, you know, we had a piece on our site um, – I can't remember, maybe the the night after that statement or maybe two days after the statement that, that Tanner put out, right? And so at that point, <clears throat> behind the scenes and publicly, it looked like things had calmed down a little bit, you know, whereas maybe a week before that, we all had more questions about what direction is this going to go. Um, it, it still seemed most likely that Muschamp would be back. Well, over the course of those next few days, and, and Wes, you know this because we talked about it a lot, I mean, it, it seemed to calm down, right, where everybody's anticipating changes, but it seems like Muschamp's going to be back. And because the board of trustees members had all talked to the media, not all, a few of them went rogue and talked to the media for reasons I don't understand. And then because of all the speculation, um, they felt like it was good to put out the united front and make a statement. Okay. So they do that. Things seem to be calm. Um, it seems that they've sort of dug in their heels and that this is the decision they've made. Well, then you get this. Then you get, you know, President Caslin giving a couple different interviews in which he says he backs the statement, but then he'll say other things about, you know, continuing to talk about a buyout or, or saying he's my coach for now. We're going to reassess things, you know, after the Clemson game if nobody shows up. And, you know, the Georgia game showed we can be halfway decent. Like, a lot of things like that. And so – you know, even if that's your intent, like even if you put out that United front publicly and even if you intend behind the scenes to, yeah, we need to take a hard look at this after the Clemson game, you can't do that publicly, right? You can't litigate it publicly because if if your intention is to put out this United front, if every intention is to bring Muschamp back, then you got to really dig in on it. And so now what you've got is you've got prospects and their family members who love Muschamp now, people will say, well, whatever. A lot of these guys signed up to play for Will Muschamp. You can agree with it or disagree with it as a fan or say they should or shouldn't do that, whatever, but that's the reality of it. I mean, Wes, you can back me up on that. I mean, it's, it's true. And so now you've got those guys, a lot of them concerned because they're looking at the university leadership. Why is Will Muschamp being treated like this? Um, are they going to do something, you know, rash or something that they don't want them to do? You know, it's just hard to tell now. So if you are going to dig in on Muschamp, you, you can't hamstring him even further. Not to right? mention, if you ever do pull the trigger on that, what quality coach is going to want to come here knowing that if things start to go south, that the board of trustees and the president of the university are going to start to just drag your name through the mud publicly, just to make a point? That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, I think it, do, it does hurt you. I mean, money will always speak, but I, I think if – if you're talking about a coach that's maybe deciding between your program and maybe an otherwise equal program. That doesn't shit on their people. Um, that can absolutely be a deciding factor. So, yeah, it's 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 just a bad look over there right now across the board. And um, unfortunately, it may get worse before it gets better is the impression I got. But it's It's almost like he didn't have the credentials to be a president of a Power 5 school. You would think, that based on the way he's handling this, that maybe he didn't actually deserve the job and it was all just political undermining that landed in that position. 
eerily similar to that scenario. Yeah, and you know, I the, the thing to me that that really caught my attention, other, other than the fact that now you there's been interviews with two different papers where the papers have then said, you know, you, you've had a problem with how things have been reported in both of these cases, and then you know the papers saying, well, here's the audio of what was said. Um, you know, that's an issue. But the other thing is to give to give specifics about, well, yeah, you know, this is my coach. And then be like, but hey, guys, if Clemson if Clemson kills us and there's a bunch of orange in the stands, we got to have a talk. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's you can't say that even if that's your intention, which is highly. I mean, it's possible. It's possible. You you, you have to continually assess things. Yeah, and you but, completely undermine. Yeah, you undermine. You, yeah, your coach and the statement that your own AD put out. <laughs> um, right. Which I like which, three days prior. Yeah. yeah. Which the, to me. If the purpose of the statement was to say Will Muschamp is back for the 2020 season, even the statement itself could have been more strongly worded. Mm-hmm. You know, if if the absolute point of that statement is Will Muschamp is here in 2020, then say Will Muschamp is our football coach for the 2020 season. You know, that that's a statement that he's coming back, not, you know, going forward. Going forward. Yeah. What what does going forward even mean? Like, but we don't know. <laughs> exactly. So, point being, if you don't have anything nice to say, <laughs> as my third grade teacher, Miss Bohealer, used to tell us, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. But seriously, from a from a media savvy standpoint, what does any of this accomplish? What what positive comes from from any of this? So you already are in a bad spot as far as your football program, the perception of where it is. Staring for a four-win season in the face, six straight losses to Clemson. If you lose next week, a heavy underdog to your rival, they're going to be in the college football playoff again. You're already staring all that other stuff right in the face. So hey, let's make it even harder to win at South Carolina. The other thing that it does is for the marginal Carolina fans. Caslin has made Will Moshamp a martyr. You know, like Carolina fans had sold all of their Will Muschamp stock at this point in the season. And all of a sudden, the fan base is kind of like back on the Moschamp train because <laughs> because Kadzen's done this. It's it's kind of like backfired. It's like he wanted to, I don't know, basically publicly sell that stock and communicate to the fan base that, this, that maybe Carolina's going to try and go in another direction. And it's really backfired on him. People are kind of rallying behind Will now. Yeah, it's like more of a sympathetic figure, which, you know, when when I think when he struggles here, he's he's such he's so well liked within the university by the other coaches. And this was the same case at Florida, like nobody wanted it to go this way. Nobody like aside from fans, you know, which that happens everywhere, you know, like root for his failure. You know, that, that's just not how it is. Um, everybody wants him to succeed. And I think that's another reason why, you know, there I think the reasons why he's in all likelihood, unless something drastically changes, going to be back, it, that's one reason. That's one part of it is is there's a lot of goodwill there and um, everybody wants him to succeed. There, there's just a lot of reasons that people want that to happen. So, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's sort of taken the, the heat off a little bit. Now, you know, after next week, you know, it would be hard to project anything other than a Clemson win probably significantly so mm-hmm. 
and you know that'll I'm sure there'll be more conversations you know among fans after that point um but yeah it's just it's made it really difficult you know like I'll go back to what I said if you're you make a decision one way or another you either say we're parting ways with our coach we're definitely bringing our coach back or if you want to leave it open-ended until the end of the season just say it just say that or don't comment at all just say we'll evaluate it at the end of the year like we always do. That's sort of like what Moshamp well, said, well, well, said about Brian McClendon. Right. So, I mean, you got to you gotta pick one of those, and then you need to stick with it throughout. So, if, if you're saying our coach is back, don't say he might not be back. And don't, you know, if you're saying he's back and that's your intention, give him every opportunity to succeed. And they've made it more difficult on themselves because of that, because now you're creating recruiting questions. It's like somebody put it to me, who would know, put it to me, like this yesterday, I think it was, the prospects are more concerned about these types of comments and how Muschamp's being treated in the media by his own administration than winning four games, which is pretty alarming, right? But but that is how they see it, you know? So I can't wait to do this show next week because I already have some great buyer sales ruminating Ooh. for the Clemson game. Do you all think the line will be less than 34? I have no idea. What I'm thinking. Think? I'm thinking like around there, like 33, 34. Very possible. Twenty eight and a half. Are you kidding me? That's if what it's I'm going if with. it's less than thirty, that's what I'm going. I'm putting. With. I'm going to bet my. Well, I don't have a house, but if I did, I would put it on Clemson to cover minus twenty eight. Are you third twenty eight? Dude, I don't know. You say, you say, you're telling me Clemson's going to score thirty one points in that game? No, <laughs> you're giving South Carolina zero. That's um, right. Giving him three. I'm not. I'm not push. saying that that's like my opinion on what the score is going to be. I, that's my guess on the line. You know how sometimes lines come out and you're like, that doesn't really make sense. Yeah. But, you know, they're pretty good at making the line. That'd be a very rivalry line. That'd be the only explanation. I guess. Twenty-eight and a half. That's that's I mean, what that's I'm going. Still with. a huge. That's four touchdowns plus half a point. That would probably be the biggest. Last year, last year was the biggest line at twenty-six and a half. Oh. I, it could be 40, and I would still feel comfortable that Clemson would cover. Man, I don't think it's going to be a 40-point line, though. No, 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 it won't, but I, I think they'll win by 40. Oh, that's that's possible. Yeah. Anyway, we'll, 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 look we'll, at save, the tape that, this we'll week save that for next week. Uh, Wes, did anybody correctly predict the final score of the Texas A&M game? Not correctly. Um, I did uh, I did want to give a shout-out to Christy, who I, I, I extended this thing to Instagram this week, and uh, Christy actually had the closest score on Instagram. Um, and I sent her a, a sixty dollar gift card to Slotsky's Deli to um, wow go tailgating for you free. You didn't just and, send her the tailgating package. <laughs> man, that joke never gets old. <laughs> um, and uh, we of course want to invite everyone else to go out to Slotsky's Deli and enjoy some wonderful sandwiches, sides. Uh, they got a Cinnabon right there within the deli as well, chocolate chip cookies, and of course want to thank Slotsky's Deli for being a sponsor on Gamecock Central and here on another Carolina podcast. And that'll do it for us this week, I suppose. We'll be back next week with more lukewarm takes about South Carolina football. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends if you like it and you want us to keep doing it. That's a great way to support the podcast. And we will talk to you next week. Okay, bye. Bye.